All right, so grab your Bible and open to Psalms. We don't have a specific text that we're going to work through today, but I do want to read Psalm 1 together. Psalm 1, I'll be reading in the ESV this morning. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous the way of the wicked will perish. Again, we're not going to work through that psalm this morning. There is so much that we will in the future, but not today. Today we give an intro. Today we talk about the genres. Today we talk about how to understand just psalms because it's, it's different. I was talking with some pastors this week just about the challenge that it is to, to do this. We're used to, or at least I, as in, in my preaching time, had, are used to an epistle, a letter. Very straightforward. Here's what's going on. Here's to how to correct it. And then we come to Psalms, and you've got a, a much different approach. Some of the content is the same, but the approach and how it's brought up is, is very different. Just some history and some background. And you guys may know some of this stuff, but just think about the authors of the book of Psalms. It's not written by just one man. Now, David wrote the majority of the Psalms. 72, maybe 73 of the Psalms are accredited to him. Here's a couple of the other guys that you may be less familiar with. Asaph, he wrote 12 Psalms. He lived in the time of David, a contemporary of David, and he wrote 12 of the Psalms. David's son Solomon wrote two Psalms that are recorded in what we have. Moses actually wrote a Psalm. Psalm chapter 90 is accredited to Moses and would be, therefore, the oldest of the Psalms that we have. Now we get to a couple very little-known guys. Ethan, you have someone, an author. You've been named after an author of, of Psalm 89, buddy. Ethan the Ezraite wrote Psalm 89, and this is my personal favorite author from my growing up in the 80s. He, man, I don't even know if that's how you say it. But I have to say, He-Man. He-Man, the Ezraite, he wrote Psalm 88. Both of those guys probably lived during the same time as Solomon lived. Okay, uh, the, the rest of the authorship of the Psalms is, is pretty well unknown or unattributed to anybody, somewhat uncertain. I think we can dig a little bit deeper and find out a few more of those things. And just uh, for instance here, uh, Hebrews 4.7 quotes an unnamed psalm as being attributed to David. So Hebrews 4.7 quotes part of Psalm 95 and says that it was David who wrote it. Even though Psalm 95 doesn't have David listed as the author, the author of Hebrews attributes it to him. So we can kind of do some digging and find stuff like that. Acts 4.25 does the same thing with Psalm 2. But Acts 4.25 points out a really important thing. And it's the first point on our notes today. The Holy Spirit is the actual author of every psalm. 
Okay, God used a multitude of men, not just in the, the whole of Scripture, but in the book of Psalms, inspired these guys to write down his own, own words. These were chosen men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things, to write down God's words. And believe it or not, I don't know how much this has been contested, but we can actually prove the inspiration of the Psalms just by the New Testament alone. The Psalms are quoted, get this, more than 50 times in the New Testament, and they're quoted by every New Testament author except for James. Every New Testament author quotes the book of Psalms. In fact, Jesus and his apostles treated the book of Psalms like the infallible word of God. They did. They, they quoted it all the time. I read uh, in the last couple of weeks that the book of Psalms is like fire and it's like a hammer. It's like fire and a hammer, like metal being heated over a fire. What comes to the surface? All those impurities. That's what's going to happen to us as we look at the book of Psalms. The impurities are going to come to the surface to be dealt with. And they're like a hammer then that it shapes and forms that metal into just what the blacksmith, what the designer wants it to look like. I also read this week that the book of Psalms is one of the most familiar books in the Bible, but it's also one of the most foreign books in the Bible. It's familiar because we hear it read, I mean, frequently on Sunday mornings during worship, we read from the book of Psalms. Most of the Psalms were meant to be sung anyway, so it makes sense that through the years, the centuries, the millennium, that we have, the church still uses the book of Psalms in worship. And so they're, they're familiar to us in that way, but they're foreign in the sense that we oftentimes don't understand or recognize their setting that they were written in or even their theology sometimes. Uh, a, com- a commentator from the 1800s, Wil- Wil- William Plumer, I think is how you say his name, he wrote this, I thought was, thought was really interesting. He said, the Psalms were written a long time ago in an age and a country very diverse from our own and in a language so peculiar, talking about the Hebrew language, a language so peculiar that we have now no parallel, nothing to equate it to. Another commentator on this issue said that the Hebrew language is not only a dead language, but the oldest of all dead languages. It's the language of a people that lived under circumstances and in a climate very different from those of our own country, so that the expressions with which it abounds cannot be, can, cannot be strange to our habits of thinking, cannot be but strange to our habits of thinking and our modes of speech. It's natural that they would be confusing at times to us because the language itself is a barrier. It's foreign to us. I don't know that much about Hebrew, but the little bit that I learned in Bible college led me to believe that it's, it would be very difficult to understand that language. I like, Jason gave me a book this, uh, a couple weeks ago that, I, that really helped me understand this better by Tremper Longman III, and he, he puts it this way in his book. He says, though the Psalms speak to us, they're often hard to understand. He explains in this book that the Psalms are distant in three ways, and those are just the three that I want to hit on this morning. They're, they're distant to us historically, culturally, and believe it or not, theologically. Now, let me explain why. Historically, remember, Psalms was a book that was written over a thousand or so years, from the oldest one to the, to the most current one, a thousand or so years time spanned in there. And the latest one that was written was probably like 2,500 years ago. 
So historically, they're, they're kind of distant from us. Now, let me just say here, we can absolutely trust that God's word stands the test of time. So what we have, even though it's 2,500 even longer since we're alive, doesn't mean that we shouldn't trust it. In fact, the fact that we've got it in the, in the way that we do, I think really means that we should trust it. The revelation of Jesus in Scripture now is primarily how we understand and know God. But you know what? If you think about it, he certainly spoke to people in their day and age in a particular way, a special way, related to their own places and their own times. God was going to use stuff in their world to communicate to them. So this historical distance, if you will, can make reading the book of Psalms in 2021 a bit of a challenge at times. It's one that's worth the effort though, but it can be a challenge. So on one hand, we can identify with this. On one hand, um, we're just like, there are times when we're struggling to understand God's plan in some situation. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've ever felt that because I just, I know that you have. You've struggled to understand some situation, how God could be in it, how he could be moving in this. And we just, we kind of feel lost sometimes, don't we? We open up the book of Psalms and inevitably we can identify with what they're saying. Almost any Psalm we open, your heart connects with that kind of thing. I just think about Psalm 13, 1. It says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? There are seasons of life when that sparks something in your soul. And you, it's like that, the author of that psalm knows what you're going through right then and there. There's also times, though, when you're excited about life. Things are going well. You want to praise the Lord with everything that's in you and you, and you can't even hardly explain how to do that. And so like Psalm 9-1 comes to mind. It says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. There are days when we feel that very passionately. And God is moving and we are excited and things are working as we think that they should. And it's great. Psalms is wonderful. But you see how that's almost opposite ends of the spectrum. And Psalms connects it. They capture these like common human feelings that we all get. And even in our, our day and age, we can identify and they comfort us, don't they? When somebody else has written what we feel now, it's a comfort to us. I'm not alone. There's someone else that has felt this before. That's a wonderful blessing. So when we think about the genres of even just poetry that are found in the 150 chapters of the book of Psalms, we can read through them, maybe a couple in particular, and come away thinking, what? Have you guys ever read a psalm and you just come away thinking, huh? What is that? What does that mean? Like, what is he talking about? Uh, the imprecatory psalms are kind of an example of this. Um, we'll get into this category, but it's, it's the Psalms where you open up and you see David or another author and they, they're basically saying, Lord, do you see your enemies? Get them. Get them. And, and sometimes it gets a little graphic. And you could read one of those 
And especially if you're like having a good day and you read one of those and you're like, what is this? What is happening? Uh, those are, are ones where he's like calling down, down God's wrath on his enemies. Like Psalm 79, 6, pour out your wrath on the nations that do not acknowledge you, on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. Call down your wrath? So one of the reasons, main reasons why we can get confused is because we read that and then we're like, you know, I think about Jesus and in the New Testament, and even though I can identify with the author of Psalms saying, get my enemies, Lord, I think about Jesus and he was saying stuff like, Pray for those who persecute you, right? Turn the other cheek and you could kind of start to think, hang on a second, is there a disagreement here? And so understanding the genre is really important. Understanding even the kind of poetry that's involved within the book of Psalms itself is important. We need to understand the history of what's going on in the world at the time of writing. I think we also need to understand and take into account what's going on in the nation of Israel at the time that that psalm was written. Not only that, but I think we need to consider what's happening in the personal life of the author. So there's a lot to consider when we open the book of Psalms together, but it's not a surprise with all of this to think about that we struggle to understand some of the Old Testament and then some of the psalms that can kind of see then historically distant from us at times. So it's not a surprise that we need the Holy Spirit to teach us from the Psalms. We need the Spirit of God within us because brothers and sisters, if we try to study this on our own, in our own wisdom, in our own cleverness, in our own experiences, based on our own understandings, we're going to fail. We're not going to understand it as we should. And we're going to have a wrong idea of who God is or what he's telling us. Attempting to understand the book of Psalms by our own reasoning by itself is like I read it this, I read this this week. It's like using, it's like lighting a candle to use a sundial. Some of you kids may not know what a sundial is. It's a, a fixed thing, like on a ground or on a post. And as the sun moves across the sky, you can see what time it is. Well, if you just try to light a candle to use that, you're going to have a tough day. It's not going to be easy. But that's what it's like. It will never work as it should because it's not being used as it should. So it has to be the Spirit of God that's in us, brothers and sisters, teaching us, changing us. And so we pray for this and we plead with God for his wisdom in this. It's the second thing, so that's historically different. The second thing is cultural distance. And there is a big cultural distance between America 2021 and the world 3,000 years ago. There's a big difference between America 200 years ago and America 2021. So just imagine going back 3,000 years. Now, I I do want to be clear in saying this, that the cultural distance that I'm referencing, it doesn't change or mitigate or erase the message that is in God's word for believers all the time. It doesn't change that. We don't hold to a culturally dependent view of Scripture. That's not what I'm saying. But it does help to understand the culture that it was written to in order to then understand what it means for us. If the Bible says something, if the Bible says it forbids something back 3,000 years ago, it still forbids it today. 
Okay? Just to be clear, if, if, if God commanded something for us to do in his word, he's commanding that to us today in America in 2021. Culture doesn't change that. Time doesn't change that. But there are ways that we can understand it better by understanding culture and time. Uh, with that being said, if you've read through any parts of the Old Testament, boy, especially some of the law books that Jason mentioned, you can really pretty easily see that there are customs and there are expressions that seem real strange to us right now. Uh, th- they're strange. They were, they seemed strange when they were given to some degree. And they seem real strange to us. We don't live in the, in a Hebrew culture in that day. So we can illustrate this with our own nation in just the last 10 to 20 years. I mean, many of you guys remember living in a house with a home phone. You know what I'm talking about? That thing that was mounted on the wall that had the big long curly line? A landline. Remember that? Some of you kids have no clue what that looks like. Some of us, some of you guys remember driving a vehicle that had a third pedal. Do you know what I'm talking about? The one on the far left that didn't really do anything? It's a clutch. Some of you guys, does anybody have a manual vehicle besides like farm equipment? I see two hands. Okay. Is your truck a manual? Your little one? Okay. So some of you guys remember that. Some of you guys remember, this is really, you're really going to have to go back. You remember that, that thick, magical book that sat next to your phone, landline, that had the numbers of all the people in your area? The phone book, right? We don't use those anymore because if you don't know the number, you just Google it. You just talk to your phone and it'll give you usually a pretty accurate number. But these things, see, even in our own culture, these things change. Even from 15, 20 years ago, they change. So it makes total sense that a completely different culture from thousands of years ago might be a challenge for us to understand. So again, this doesn't remove any directive from God's word, but it should inform how we read it, how we understand it, and then how we apply it. Okay, let's, let's move to the third thing. Uh, that Longman mentions in his book is that Psalms can feel distant to us theologically. This one was a surprise to me, to be perfectly honest, as I was reading, but it makes sense. Think about when the book of Psalms were written. Were they written before Christ or after Christ? Long before, right? So we have the benefit, the blessing of God, that we're on this side of the cross and this side of the empty tomb we get to see in a different way God's plan for us and for his people that they didn't know. They didn't know in full when they were writing these things. So the revelation of Jesus, his works, his miracles, uh, his, his death, his cross, his resurrection, his ascension, the sending of the spirit, all of these things happened long after the last psalm was written. What was the mode of worship when the book of Psalms was written. Anybody want to yell it out? What was the mode of worship? How did people, where did they go? What did they do? Where did they go to worship? They went to the temple, right? For the most part. They went to the temple, a central gathering place for God's people. What did they do when they, get, when they got there? They sacrificed animals. The mode of worship when the Psalms were written was totally different than it is today. So it's not a surprise that the Psalms were used 
by the Israelites in worship through the years, corporately and privately, and just like we use them today, in worship, at home. Even though the Psalms are, some of the Psalms are certainly messianic, like they predict or they foreshadow the coming of Christ, they didn't have the full revelation of Jesus that we have today. So it makes sense to say that the theology of the Psalms was coming from a different launching point than ours is. And, you know, this makes it a challenge. So our time together, we're going to talk about historical information, cultural information, some theological background for sure. But the point is not just to better understand ancient Israelite culture. That wouldn't be a bad endeavor to do to understand that sort of thing. But that's not our goal when we get together. When we get together, we want to study and show ourselves approved in order to know God better through his word. That's my hope for us and my prayer for us as a church. As we go through the book of Psalms, that we would know God better than before we started. Longman also said, when we read the Psalms with faith, we come away changed, not just simply informed. I don't want to just inform you all. I want us to be changed by the Holy Spirit. That's, that's my hope and my prayer. We're not going to study every chapter verse by verse like we normally do, and that'll be a challenge for me. It wouldn't be wrong to do that, but at 150 chapters in Psalm 119, you could spend an entire year on that alone. Um, we're not going to approach it quite the same way. So we're going to look at some of the different things that Jason mentioned. He, he said a few of them here. Um, there are thousands of commentaries written about the book of Psalms. In fact, the one that I was using written by Plumer this week, uh, Isla grabbed off the desk and she was like, whoa, this thing's bigger than the Bible. I mean, it's huge. It's, it's that thick and the, the, the writing is small. The text is little. There, there's so much said about the book of Psalms. There's a lot in the book of Psalms just from God's word alone anyway. So there's all kinds of ways we could approach this. There are a multitude of resources when it comes. And they all put Psalms into a bunch of different categories. So we're just, we're just going to choose a few here. Jason mentioned them. These are some of the ones that we're going to cover. And what, what our plan is, is to take a few from each category and look at them so that we get kind of a cross-section of what Psalms is and what it can do, what it does for us today. So some of the, the categories that Jason mentioned are, are praise, thanksgiving, lament, historical psalms, wisdom psalms, and then messianic psalms. So if you've got a study Bible, or if you're doing some research online or just in some other books, you may see different categories or classifications of psalms. That's okay. That's all right. The psalms are meant to be read as a book that teaches us how to live life of live a life of praise under the rule of God's one and only true king. So, do you live your life under the reign of the one and only true king? Is that how you live? If that's how we're going to read this book, we need to live that. In Psalms, we learn what happens to the enemies of God who don't live under that kind of rule. It's not pleasant. It's not good. But you know what? We're also going to find out the blessings for those who do. For those who are called by his name 
and for those who answer his name. Friends, he's still calling today. These may have been written over the course of a thousand years, thousands of years ago. He's still calling you today. He still is. It's unlikely that he's just going to speak to you audibly. I wouldn't count that out. God is a big God. He could do that if he cared to. But it's very likely that he's going to speak to you when you open his word. This is how he does it. He might even use the Psalms to do it. So listen for his voice. And when you hear it, don't push it away. Don't ignore it. Answer in faith. And if you've never been saved before, you can be by reading the Psalms, by understanding what God's word says about you as a person and about his son, Jesus Christ. How he's paid the penalty that you deserve so that you could be made right with God. That's what we're going to read and look at in the Psalms. I'm excited to do it. Here's a thought that we're going to end today with that struck me this week. Jesus studied and memorized the Psalms. Okay, that's not profound. That's not incredible. That's not some unusual thing. I never thought much about that though. Jesus studied and memorized the same Psalms that you have in front of you. We can't say that about every book in scripture, that Jesus had this book when he was alive on the earth. But we can about Psalms. The Psalms are this unique thing that allow us to peek behind the curtain a bit into the devotional life of Jesus. Think about that. Judging from how often Jesus repeated and recited and referenced the Psalms, it's clear that they played a big role in his spiritual development, in his own spirituality. Think about that. The Savior, God, Learn from these psalms that you and I get to learn from today. Here's another interesting thought along those same lines. Jesus learned about himself from reading the psalms. Isn't that neat? The psalms that prophesied his crucifixion, his union with the Father, his rule on the earth. He learned about that stuff as he read Psalms, because it prophesied about him. As we open up Psalms, it's like, almost like we're opening up Jesus' own prayer book. Before the Psalms were for us, they were for Jesus. That's cool. After his resurrection, Christ taught the disciples that the Psalms, as well as the whole Old Testament, were testifying about him. If you've got your notes, you can look down at that verse I referenced in Luke 2, 24, 44. Luke 24, 44. I'll read it for you. This is what Jesus says when he's talking to his disciples. He's, then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Specifically, he references the Psalms. These messianic Psalms point forward to the coming Messiah, of whom its authors could only see by faith. By faith. What a blessing the Psalms are to us on this side of the cross, brothers and sisters. Jesus used the beloved Psalms of God's people to tie together his divinity and his humanity. He really was the long-awaited Messiah 
God made flesh, the creator of all who stooped down to dwell with his people. And he bound the Old Testament with what was to come in the New Testament. And we see some of that in the book of Psalms. We learn in the book of Psalms that prayers of praise, of thanksgiving, oftentimes follow prayers of concern or anger or even desperate cries for help. Not only can we identify with that kind of thing, but you know what? Jesus could identify with that kind of thing. Think back to some of the most difficult moments of his life. Where did he go to? He went to the Psalms. Specifically on the cross, he went to the Psalms. The Psalms we read are the same Psalms that Jesus read and the same Psalms that he cherished and he memorized and then he quoted. These are a gift to to God's people. And my hope and my prayer is that in our time in Psalms that we come to learn to cherish and maybe even memorize and quote the Psalms. May God use his word to build his church and to draw us closer to him. Let's pray. Lord, that is our hope and our prayer, that you would use your word to draw us in. You can do that in the Psalms in a way that maybe uh, we never expected, and, and I pray that you would. I pray that you do something big and new and fresh in this time that we have together. God, we are indebted for the book of Psalms. to to glimpse the same things that Jesus used and studied and memorized, we get to now. And boy, what a joy that is. I pray that as we read, as we pop open this book so easily to its center and read in the book of Psalms, I pray that they take on a meaning unlike ever before for us. Lord, we know that you'll do this because you desire your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And you want to use your people to do it. So we are open for you to do that in us at Ramsey Creek. Do that, start it even today. Lord, I pray that if we are not living under the King, a life devoted and submitted to the King of glory, I pray that today you would call and we would answer in faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.